0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. If you pay attention to the financial news, I'm sure you've seen all the craziness lately with stocks like GameStop and AMC and all the others that have been way up and have since gone way down. Seems like everybody now has a Robinhood account and is trading stocks on margin. On top of it all, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, which has added all sorts of volatility to the stock market. Everything was initially way down and it's uh, quickly rebounded way back up. With all this stuff going on, I think it's safe to say we're in the middle of a wild market. Given how wild it's been lately, I thought it would be good to talk about how to invest, especially when it's crazy like it is now. To help me talk through this, I brought in a very special guest today. He's definitely a big name in the investment space and is currently working as the head of retirement research for Morningstar's Investment Management Group and as an adjunct professor of wealth management at the American College. He's got his PhD in all sorts of other Credentials and designation, but I, what I think he's most known for, at least within the investment industry, is his wide-ranging research on investing. My guest today is David Blanchett. David, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Yeah, so uh, we are in the midst of a big ice storm in Lexington, Kentucky. It's it's kind of crazy. So hopefully, where you're at, it's much warmer and and nicer as you're listening to this. But it's been we've been kind of cooped up in our houses lately, right? I mean, we've had. A big, you know, global pandemic. And and we were just talking, David, David has four kids. I have three kids. And so cooped up is that kind of brings it to a different level. But we're talking investments. So, like, do you think I'm curious, like being cooped up in our houses like this, like, do you think that it has an effect on people and even something like their investments or how they invest? Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it clearly does. I think if you look at downloads of robin hood and schwab i think it, people want an outlet and they're using that outlet is as, as day trading i mean i've never had so many conversations with friends of mine or random questions about stocks in the market before so i think that people are looking to do something and and for better or for worse that could be uh you know buying individual stocks in their portfolios
0: yeah so i was we were talking about this as well i actually my first experience investing was in 1999 and i was I guess 14 or 15 years old. I'm surprised my parents let me do this, but I was uh, day trading on an E Trade account and buying tech stocks or .dot com stocks or whatever. And if you've followed investments, uh, that was the .dot com bubble. You know, I don't know how everything shakes out this time, but in that uh, situation, there was a ton of stocks that got big time hyped up and overvalued, and then you know I invested in them <laughs> after they had grown, uh, and then. They all dropped, so I I had. I always joke about it. I invested my entire net worth at that time, which was only a few thousand dollars, but hard-earned money, and lost pretty much all of it. And so today, it it kind of reminds me of it. Is it the same now, or what's what's how's this compared to the dot-com bubble?
1: Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. Show that story. I have a very similar first investment experience. So when I was in high school, I graduated. I think in. 99 i got a friend of mine to open up an account for me to trade i wasn't yet 18. and so I, he opened an account under his name i i got some money from him and my parents and some other friends parents and i invested it and then i i doubled the money then i got out i didn't i didn't stay what so you're I know, kidding i me. know i've always been a <laughs> I'm, I'm a you know i'm a you know I'm, I'm weird like that i i didn't get too greedy so i doubled everybody's money and that was enough of it but you know we, we haven't been in an environment i i i think since then where everyone wanted to trade as we are in, that, in right now so I, I think that that's the best example of where we are today where uh, you know everyone wants to trade and you know i've talked to people that have said you know i see people you know that are you know posting on instagram or wherever else and they're just making money and they're buying stuff like how is that possible and this it's not right i mean you know it's true today that that the commissions are lower that app spreads are lower so the implicit cost and the explicit cost of trading is down but you know, it just it just scares me, right? You know, you, see, you saw what happened in GameStop, AMC, Bitcoin, who knows what's next? I think it, it creates this false confidence among people where, you know, the bubble bursts eventually. It's really just only how long until it happens, right?
0: Yeah. So most people are like me. I'm kind of like average dude. So basically, I gave my money to David, right?
1: <laughs> Effectively, yes. You gave me your money. Thank you for that. Everyone that I invest <laughs> with me appreciated that. But.
0: That's where it went.
1: And I think that that's the problem. You know, you know, people don't realize that for every winner, there's effectively a loser, right? I mean, as long as the markets are going up, I guess you know. People can kind of win, but eventually they go back down. And I think that's where you know you're already hearing these these incredible stories of people that lost tons of money on GameStop. I mean, sure people made money, but on average, people are going to lose money because you know the, those few folks that got in early saw these huge gains, but everyone else lost their shirts. And I think that's that's part of the problem with with people that day trade is that too often we we like to report our winners, we don't talk about our losers, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What? So, how does that differ from? So, I'm sure everybody has heard the market goes up. It's historically always gone up, and every year it goes up. You know, ten percent a year, right? Always, every time. <laughs> uh, but long term, you know, it should should most of the time go up. But if maybe I'm just a little smarter than the market and I'm buying stocks and um and I can beat the market. So, like, but can I beat the market? Is that? I think a lot of people think that they can beat the market that don't. And if you look at you know the research better than anybody but I you know my understanding is you look at the research and they don't meet, beat the market and but even if they thought they did and and usually that's one of those things you got to learn through failure but like how do you uh, on the front end wrap your head around that and not be that guy that learns like me through failure and instead just kind of listens to to someone like you
1: well so a few things so I don't even really time the market. I would say that my, I could kind on one hand, the times I've gone in and try to buy or sell a security. So like, I'm not like a day trader because I, I, I've i met the enemy. I, I, when I went to business school, I met guys that run hedge funds and these are like the smartest people you've ever in your entire life. So I don't want to trade against them. Okay. So the key is like for everyone out there that trades, there's a winner and there's a loser. And you know, the winners out there, if they can even do that are the ones that, you know, manage billions of dollars, have infinite resources. You don't want to bet against them. Like you're the sucker at the poker table, right? And to your point, people that invest don't always realize that they're actually losing money over time. And so I think that it's just really hard, right? to to think that I'm smarter than average, I can do this. But, you know, and so my one kind of thing is I'm okay with it. If it's like a tiny account, like you couldn't used to like buy slices of stocks, you know, it was a pretty big commitment to buy and sell securities back in the day. You had to like actual buy shares. Now you can buy these like tiny slivers. And so I think it's okay to do it if you want to learn more about investing. But I would take a long, hard look at yourself before you start trading. You know, most of your portfolio, your four hundred and one k things like that, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point, I think. And then you can learn through experience, like like I did, but not on your retirement account, and instead just kind of on a sliver of your portfolio. The feeling I get, I don't know. Uh, I've been to a casino or a horse race. We're in Lexington, so you know the horse track. And if you've ever made kind of like a little bit bigger than you probably should bet on a horse or at the casino, you get that like feeling in your stomach or whatever. I don't know, some chemical gets released and makes you kind of get hyped up. Uh, When I traded stocks the first time, I got the same feeling, it was dead on the same feeling. And I think that's kind of interesting to look at is when I buy investments in my retirement account, I am so far from that feeling, it's not even close. It's a different sort of a thing, right? So like mixing the two together is I think where the danger occurs, right?
1: I mean it's gambling. Like we have to be honest and call it what it is, right? If you if you are not, you know, in it for the long haul, if you're if you watch the news or follow someone's Twitter feed and buy a stock, you're not investing, you're gambling. And gambling can be fun. People really like to gamble. I think it gives you something to do, but I think it's important to distinguish between the two. You know, Actively trading an account every day is not investing. And again, some folks make money and it can be a lot of fun. Like You can feel this high when you do it, but it can just be tragic. It's tragic on average. I mean, there's no research I've ever seen that says that the average person who day trades beats a low cost, professionally managed portfolio. That's just a fact. And it's not even close,
0: right? It's like, like 1% or something. Right. I mean
1: every time you trade even if you don't pay a commission you 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 pay a bit ass spread. So you're always losing a little bit of money every time you trade and so I think that that you know, the role of advisors and other things is to protect you from themselves. I mean it's really hard to to not want to go out and buy Tesla when it's up a 1000% whenever in 5 years. And I think that that, that that's when people Need someone to remind them that you probably shouldn't be doing this. Like it's cool if it's like, you know, a thousand bucks in a Robinhood account, but it's not cool if it's all your hard earned savings that you're going to use to live off of when
0: you retire. Right. Yeah. And so professional advice, I think part of the challenge, I kind of am not the, we have some issues in our industry as uh, I'm, uh, I have a financial planning business and in our industry, the financial advice industry, uh, there are some issues there. So I think some people kind of get burned by that industry and kind of just go the complete other direction. I was going to read an example of, of kind of this sort of thing. I I got an email from a client the other day and it was just, it just, it just blew me away. And so this is from a financial advisor and I actually know uh, of the person and um, they talked about, I'll kind of uh, summarize it, but basically they're like uh, in the, in March and April, We took all of our clients to cash March and April of last year. So that was the bottom of the pandemic. We took all of our clients to cash and significantly reduced our exposure to stocks and blah, blah, blah. And so and then since then have reinvested. And basically we beat the market and uh, beat the pandemic. And our clients are loaded and you need to give me your money now because I know how to pick when the market is down and when the market is up. Do advisors know when the market is down? Is and let's clear that up. I think because that that bothered me a lot here and that.
1: Yeah, so like you know, I'm you know I'm a pretty smart guy. I have have a every designation you've heard of, PhD, whatever else. And so like, but no, like that's ridiculous, right? So like, good investing is boring. You know, you can make changes on the margin, but you know, to our earlier point about gambling, advisors do not cannot time the market with any level of consistency. So it makes sense to take risk on and off the table as your objectives change. You know, if all of a sudden you you have a client and they can accomplish all their financial goals because their portfolio is up 30%, maybe you take risk off the table. But, you know, someone that says I can time the market because I have some kind of a strategy, like that to me is, is, is kind of ridiculous. I mean, I think that you can maybe make little adjustments here that are based upon valuations, but, you know, I, I just, I'm not, you know, I, I'm skeptical. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of low cost passive investing, where you stay invested for the long haul. It, it, you know, good investing is not it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's boring. If someone's offering you a strategy that's not boring, it's probably not the best strategy.
0: Yeah. So let's go there. Let's go that direction. What is the most boring possible strategy we can? we can think of.
1: A target date fund? Yeah, that's A single balanced portfolio. And like, so like, you know, I, I like target date funds. I like balanced portfolios. They aren't necessarily efficient for each investor, right? People are different. They often have different goals, desires, but like that's actually a good way to invest if you put it in a 60-40 portfolio, if you use a target date fund. Those are all ways that you can accomplish financial goals. Now, I think that there's a lot of other stuff people need help with, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with a target date fund. It's not necessarily optimal, but you have to Weigh that against the costs of any kind of other strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if 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 I'm a DIY investor and I don't spend a lot of time uh, on it, and I kind of want the most simplistic, easy, boring, straightforward route possible, like there's a lot of appeal there to like a low-cost target date fund. Now you got to watch target date funds because, and I don't even think it's as much the strategy; it's the Sometimes the costs are the costs are hidden, built into there, and I mean that's that's been my experiences. Now, if the costs are high, that's a different story. But in general, target date funds are are fantastic for kind of the autopilot sort of setup. Target date funds, by the way, they're it automatically invests uh, the funds based on your age and and kind of rebalances over time as you get older. But it's it's a one size fits all sort of a solution. But how does that compare to picking your funds? Do you think? I mean, have you done research on that specifically? Like, if I'm the guy that's like smarter than the average, which everybody says, right?
1: Right. Individuals don't tend to pick funds if they think that they're worse than the average investor, right? You know, you don't, you don't pull the audience and say, hey, (laughs) who can't manage their own money and find that they're doing it? So I think that's part of the problem, right? Is that individuals think that they can beat the market. And, you know, I've looked at this um, a lot within 401k investors. And what you find is that, is that they don't, right? I mean, there's, I mean, this is, this is so important that no one realizes that there is not, there's no research whatsoever that suggests that the average person can outperform a low cost, you know, effectively quasi passive portfolio where you just kind of stay invested for the long. That's a fact. Um, it's it's incredibly boring. It's not very fun, but that's good investing. And I think that it's hard for people to kind of just say there and not do things. I think that, you know, to your point about, you know, the advisors that time the market, well, you know, for just as many people that say that they timed it right, they timed it wrong. Um, I know lots of advisors that, that, that went to cash and stayed there. They missed the entire rally um, back in 2020. So sure, uh, some some people can do it, but, you know, no one talks about their losers you know advisors that say i did this i did that i mean they might have for some other clients but you have to realize that just because they got it right before doesn't mean they're gonna get it right again like it's 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 effectively random no one has like a secret sauce that they can use to outperform because that's just not how investing works
0: mm-hmm. yeah and what's what's interesting i have seen lately is a lot of um passive uh investors have been kind of uh active on the side, uh, they kind of have sliced and diced their stuff. So they have, you know, maybe a target date fund or, or it, passive uh, investments in their retirement plans at work. And then they have their trading individual stocks in their plans on the sidelines, like their IRAs or taxable investment. Um, I think m- at least my opinion is it's kind of got to be, I, I don't understand the concept of being half and half, like half active, half passive but is there something there to, I mean, can you be a sliver active or like, is it kind of like you either need to be all in on passive or you you know what I'm saying? You're no you're no fun. You're no fun at all. (laughs) So,
1: I mean, I think in reality, if we were all, you know, utility maximizing robots, we would all have very boring long-term portfolios, right? No one would do that. I think that, that if you, I would only recommend you do it if you feel like you have to do it. And then you do it with as little of your portfolio as possible. Right. And so someone would say, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense, David. Well, I don't want, I don't want anyone effectively to be day trading their any portfolio that they have. That just doesn't make any sense. Right. But if you're going to do it, you want to minimize the damage. You want to recognize that this is fun money that you're gambling with. And that, you know, that if you lose it, you're not going to, you're not going to you know, be out of the street destitute. So in theory, no one does it. In reality, people are, you know, kind of crazy. You kind of, you you do it in a way that minimizes the possible loss. What I don't want people to start doing though, is trading all their accounts, all their wealth, because again, that's going to end in heartache for a lot
0: of people. Mm-hmm. Is it What is all their wealth? Like, is there a percentage, like, is it safe to say I'll carve out like, 1% of my.
1: <laughs> so the thing is 1% didn't used to work, right? You know, like back in the day when you had to buy, you couldn't buy the slivers of, of stocks, you couldn't do 1%. But I think, I think, yeah, like I would not exceed 5% because, yeah. you know, like, cause you can, you can, you can buy dollars of individual stocks now. It's crazy. You can buy these tiny slivers. And so I'd say like the goal is as little as possible. Now, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, people that have different you know, levels of worth, you know, for it to, to excite them requires different amounts, but uh, like the goal is, is minimization. It's, it's recognizing that it, you it's gambling. Like you can't call it investing. You're going to go gamble. You're not going to casino, but you're going to the stock market. And it's kind of like a casino in the grand scheme of things. But that's, but I think that that's, that's what we have to reiterate over and over again, that you're not, you're, you know, you, if you think that you're going to be the next Warren Buffett, you are sadly mistaken. Right, most people that buy individual securities in these accounts don't know who the CEO is, and or anything about the company whatsoever, and they're trading against these massive institutions that have billions of dollars of resources that they just don't want to trade against. And so, do it, but you know,
0: minimize your your portfolio as much as possible. Learn from your mistakes, like me, and you know, come out brighter on the end. But,
1: I, but the thing is, I don't think people do. I think the earlier point, like people too often don't realize that they haven't been making money or here's the thing, like the markets have gone up for like a decade now. Right. So like any idiot, it's like actively buying stocks for the most part would have made money. So if someone's like, wow, I'm really good at this. I should do more of this. Well, no, like the right proxy is like an S&P 500, you know, or whatever you're, you know, if it's a small cap index, whatever you're trading against. And that becomes a really, really hard bogey to beat. Like the bogey is not, did I lose money? It's, How did i do versus the market And when you change your bogey to my account value is up to i didn't beat the market i think people are going to realize that hey maybe i'm not as smart as i think i am
0: yeah so if you're gonna have so take away from that if you have a passive or like an index portfolio like a target date fund that's just kind of autopilot that's great now if you're active and trying to beat the market i think what david's saying is just compare it to the s p 500 that's a simple like takeaway. Everybody should be doing that, especially if you're active, because otherwise you're just kind of you're comparing it to just whatever you're coming up with in your mind, I guess. So uh, a lot of times in my experience, I have found that when you compare it to uh, those legitimate uh, benchmarks, you are surprised, and, and a lot of times people are, are underperforming. I remember a time uh, I had a meeting with a an ex client actually uh we we parted ways after this conversation unfortunately but he had been uh doing his own investments we have kind of a platform where we still we'll, we'll still work with people even if they're doing their own investments which is kind of interesting to see from my standpoint because I see both sides but he was um following the newsletter kind of a thing and for years and years and years and using the strategy and I was like we just got to compare it to the benchmark and I he had had a positive return but he was something like 40% under. It was a very, and I finally just showed him, did the performance estimate on our end. And I was like, I showed it to him. And, but the problem was he got offended because it was like his thing. And I was like poking holes in it. So he, we broke up at that point. And I, my guess is he's still using the same strategy, but like what, uh, I think people, it becomes personal, I guess, you know?
1: It's tough right? I mean like that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's like you're telling that someone's a bad driver. Like you know you shouldn't be driving. Like right. that's reality. No. And, and that, but that but that's the reality, right? And I think that's that's part of the problem is that is that everyone wants to be better than average, right? You know, who wants to think that that they can't trade the market and they can't watch the news. And, you know, I think that, you know, for people like you and me that have been done this for decades, we know how it works. Like, you know, we've, we've taken tests and we've read books and we've done all this stuff to understand the markets. Most people don't really know what a stock or bond actually is. They can't actually describe what a stock is and how it works and what it does, but they still want to trade. And I think that's the problem is how do you, you know, how do you explain to someone that this isn't in their best interest? in a way that they understand and don't feel hurt.
0: I'm not the right guy to ask about that. Especially when they don't exactly understand how it all works.
1: Right. It's just tough. And so I think that's why, you know, you just reiterate, like you just say gambling over and over and over again until they say, okay, it's gambling. And, you know, uh, but to me where it gets dangerous is when they think that they're, that they're investing, that they're actually, they know what they're doing and then they kind of start to use more of their, their portfolio and put it into whatever strategy they're following.
0: Yeah, it's a, and this particular instance, it was probably, oh, it was over half of their entire, and they were several million, like it was, they were later career and I was getting concerned about it and how high of a percentage he was not in the one percent or five percent. Well, yeah, so like
1: I think it's like I'm so I'm
0: I'm a I do like quantitative research. It's super boring, but like there's one there's one concept that you that you know anyone
1: that like studies people and economists uses this idea of it's called utility theory. and it's how you it's how you quantify preferences. Like how much do you like something? You assign these things called utils. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, but like here's the thing that people don't realize is that like like y- you people like to make more money, and you like to have more stuff. But the moment you lose half your portfolio value, there's like no coming back from it. and all the little pings of satisfaction that you get when your portfolio goes up, you're going to be devastated if things go poorly, right? You know, like, like having a little bit more money, because you because you beat the market when you retire. Well, that's cool. But you know, you average that out with the possibility of like losing all your portfolio and having to work for an extra like eight years, at eight you know, at 865. That is that is traumatic. And I think that we don't realize is that the downside of doing it yourself is much worse than the upside. The upside is I, you know, like you actually beat, you know, the market by one or 2% congratulations. The downside is, is the market crashes. You have an undiversified portfolio and you're never going to retire. So I think I think that people don't weigh the outcomes correctly as well, and that creates I think part of the problem too.
0: So so it's it's definitely a wild time right now, like in the market, and it's exciting. There's a lot of news stories and oh yeah, everything it's great. Like every,
1: every day like socks are a hundred percent. I want some of that.
0: I've never uh, had more people ask me what short selling was and i'm also like i'm not sure i remember what it, how to explain it and i've explained it backwards several times and had to google it and remember what <laughs> what it is because we don't actually we're like strongly against using that sort of strategy but um it's kind of a lot of a lot of sexy media going on right now uh so how do you how do you uh invest in that time if we're talking you know the ideal do you just kind of put the blinders on and not pay attention to it and
1: Yes, blinders are excellent, I think, but it's so hard to your point, right, because it's all over the news, you know, like, what do you do, like, like normally, you know, like, GameStop was, like, everywhere, like, it was on every news article, like, and so, like, I think it creates this, this false sense of of what people should be doing, right? I mean, in reality, like uh, a publication focused on good investing would be incredibly boring, right? The headline every day would just be stay invested, right? But, you know, like, but but, but activity and stuff, it sells ads, it sells news. And so it kind of, it, it almost teaches us the wrong behaviors when it comes to investing. And so if we're gonna think about separating out, you know, what you do, I think the, the key is just so much to say, hey, you know, to, just to realize that, that it's probably not the best thing for me to do to go out and buy
0: and sell and trade every day is to leave it alone. Right. As boring and unexciting as that is. So I think the number one takeaway I'm kind of feeling from this conversation is boring is king. I mean, that's <laughs> it's it's awesome,
1: right? Boy, is it's just, it's just we're great.
0: also two like geeks. So like we're, you know, that's just take it for what it's worth. But I mean, we bo- both spend a lot of time in the industry. And it's also interesting to me uh, when, when I first kind of came around to that idea is that the people that I respect the most within our industry, you know, with all the designations and like David. David's got all kinds of designations and credentials and all this stuff. Uh done all kinds of research and and but people like like you and a lot of people I respect in the industry, they all kind of gravitate towards that mentality, which is very Interesting to me when I finally saw that. Even Warren Buffett does, like, you know, let's bet against the hedge fund guys and <laughs> I'll get the passive for- for- portfolio, of just boring, plain Jane, and then you get to do your hedge fund, whoop their butts. So it's interesting.
1: Most professional investors that are really good, the people that, you know, that I, I think you and I both respect, are going to say, like, good investing is like watching the grass grow. Right. But I think the problem is within our industry, and just in general, there are some folks that say the opposite, that say they want to be active tactical traders and they have fancy charts with pretty pictures and outperformance. And, and the thing is like that stuff sells, okay? The problem is, is that the vast majority of that is, isn't real. I think that advisors create stories, they generate performance, whatever else. And, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of investors gravitate towards this idea that, that I want to be better than average, I'm not going to index, I'm going to beat the market. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is if you actually use index funds, you're going to beat the market on average. And that's not intuitive. But if, if you if you do this kind of tortoise versus hare approach, the tortoise is actually going to beat the hare on average. So to the extent to your earlier point that
0: you You can put on those blinders you actually do end up winning more often than not yes that's a very important point so like basically what david is saying you know if you just buy all the stocks collectively in a low-cost passive index fund and just hang on to it you're gonna on average beat your buddies yes performance And you're just buying a like Vanguard total stock market. That's like as plain Jane, you buy all the stocks and it's super inexpensive nowadays. So you just basically are buying all the stocks and owning them and setting on them. On average, you're going to beat your buddy, especially your buddy that's trading stocks during the day. But I'm talking, we're talking about buddies that are probably, you know, not doing anything too crazy, playing around with their 401k mutual funds or something, which is, which is interesting.
1: I know. Right. Like you think of the, uh, well, I think in in every other, so like my wife and I are watching the last dance now, that will Jordan documentary, um, which is, which is a bit of a stretch for her, but it's so far so good. You know, like people think about sports players and you think, Oh, you know, like Michael Jordan was awesome at basketball. Like, you know, he goes out there and he wins. Well, you know, like, like those same traits though don't carry over to investing, like just because you beat the market last year or the year after that doesn't mean you're going to keep beating the market. People like point to Warren Buffett. Well, there's a reason he's an anomaly Like mutual funds just don't tend to win out That are active over the long haul Sure, over the short term they do But the problem is people tend to, tend to get in too late I mean, we saw this in the 90s Where, you know, most investors get to the party too late You know, by the time you open up your account You've already missed out on most of the gains I think that's what, that's the problem Is that, is that you know, individuals that stay invested Realize the full benefit of the market Individuals that, that try to time it You know, show up too late And then end up getting burned
0: Yeah, I wish I could uh, embed the image of GameStop stock in here. I was looking at the chart of it. It's like the perfect example of what you just described. I mean, it's hyper extreme example. Like it happened very fast, but it's like way up and then... here's the thing about GameStop. So
1: I, again, like I see, like I can count on on my hand that, you know, I, I wanted to, to effectively short GameStop, okay, because it had risen way beyond its fundamentals. But here's the thing, it was incredibly expensive to do so. So I'm not going to go into like all the ways that you can make money when stocks go down. But like, the put options were incredibly expensive, the cost over $100 for a seven day expiration. And the point is, is that it's really hard to make money off of things like that when they happen. And so, you know, I, I knew that it was overvalued. The entire market mm, knew that it was everybody. overvalued, but, but, but we couldn't do anything about it. You know, like like people that, that want to make money when it goes down, you just couldn't do it. And so like part of this thing is, is, that, is that is that yes, it went up, but you only made money on that if you owned it like before it went up. And then when it went up, you couldn't make money if it went down. And so uh, to me, I was I was shocked. I mean, you know, I, I've seen that that chart before of GameStop. And I know that a lot of people that, that, that see that, that are novice investors are thinking to themselves, I could have bought GameStop at fifty. Why didn't I do that? I'm looking at that thinking, what moron bought GameStop at four <laughs> hundred, right? So yeah. I don't look at I don't look at the appreciation. I look at like who in the world would pay like ten x for a stock two weeks later when nothing happened with its business.
0: Yeah. Well, our, our volume of it got to the point where we had a handful of clients asking us to help them buy GameStop, and but it was a directly correlated to the price like the price was low nobody even was unless you get games but got high the higher it went when it was like you know in the hundreds and got all hyped up that's when people were asking about it and that's what happened happens in kind of hypes people want to buy it when it's really high which is The reverse
1: of like, so like if I'm going to buy a car, you know, am I like, Oh my gosh, the car is up 400% in price. I'm going to go buy it right now. Like it's, it's anything else. It's absurd to buy things when they are like doubled in price. But for some reason for stocks, people just go nuts. And so I think like when it comes to investing, like we are our own worst enemy. Like, like it doesn't make any sense. Why would you buy GameStop when it's gone up to 200%? I, I just like, I, I'm too, I'm probably like too rational. Like I just don't get it, but people do like, they get excited about it. They're gonna so they keep it up. But, but, but why, like, like, why
0: do you think GameStock is gonna keep- What if it goes up another 200 I heard that the Reddit uses- so I,
1: I was actually very wrong on how fast it corrected. So if, like my brother-in-law has a Robinhood account. We were we were texting about it like every day. And I'm like, oh, this won't <laughs> last, you know, this won't last more than a few days. It lasted actually longer than I thought. But, but but you know, the, the, the ending was a foregone conclusion. The only question was how, how how high it went in the interim and for how long
0: yeah and it it was it was fun to watch
1: well it's all like but it's also like it's like scary you know because i think that's not what what you know i don't want people to like think they're gonna find the next game stop i don't want people to get out there now and like actively trade and so to me it just sends the wrong message when that's so prominent in the media because it gets people thinking about doing this themselves and how you can double your money overnight well you're gambling again
0: right right awesome well as we wrap up I'm curious where can uh people find you we we talked a lot about uh, investing and whatnot but we, we didn't get to talk much about you you're you have a very good website online that kind of breaks down your research and what are you up to now where can people find you I have I have a website it's pretty it's, it's pretty terrible you're being you're being way too generous there what well, does have a First of all, everybody that's listened to this needs to go look at it because the list of, <laughs> I was scanning through it before we talked, I'm like, I don't think we can talk about all this stuff. This guy's researched everything there is to research in investing. So it's a quite quite a lengthy list and you got to Got to check it out.
1: Uh, it's it's David and Um I'm on LinkedIn too. You can connect with me that way. But um, I, I work for an RIA, which is a registered investment advisor. So my options when it comes to redistribution of materials is limited. But I would say the website's the best approach. But I only update that like twice a year.
0: Yeah. What are you up to now, research? What?
1: So, I, you know, I, I try to write at least. 10 to 12 papers a year you know i used to travel a lot with like conferences and clients and stuff but you know since COVID hit i've been kind of shut down now for i've run it on 11 months and so i've got you know investing like in a low-yield world i've got stuff on risk aversion on dividend stocks on safe withdrawal rates I, you know there's no method of my madness i just kind of think to myself what sounds cool and i kind of go after yeah. that
0: so that's awesome yeah so if, if any of y'all want to geek out on dave has got <laughs> all kinds of good stuff to do geek out on. Thanks for joining me, David. It's been fun chatting. Great hear you. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor.